it's time. You know, it's it's time that we go surround ourselves with the people that we want to be around. It's time that we go elevate. It's time we get uncomfortable with our surroundings because out of that uncomfortableness, we know we're going to grow far beyond uh, whatever this life and this environment can provide us with. So are you looking for freedom, freedom from the daily grind and hustle or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today's episode is going to be super fabulous and spectacular. I've got literally one of my favorite humans to golf with and just be around. And, you know, he's probably sitting here thinking, yeah, Mike Price says that to everybody. But no, honestly, uh, Cody Caswell is on the show today. And I'm super inspired by this guy every time I'm with him. I met him, um, I think it was in Steamboat, if I remember right. And we were on a golf course with uh, the young and spectacular Brian Lubin. And just had a great day. And and there's one thing that I really love about Cody. I'm a big values guy. And even here at Investing for Freedom, I just try to surround myself with people that when I hang out with them, they make me better. They make me smile. And they're just good humans. And this guy is one of those. Um, I'm impressed with everything that he has done and continues to do, just his drive, motivation, curiosity. Um, and I'll let him get into some of this, but his background is just awesome. And for his age, um, you know, I'm just always inspired when somebody as young as this man, and maybe he's got me tricked. Maybe he's older than he looks. I don't know. But um, it's going to be a great episode. Cody, thanks for coming on the the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Um, Thanks for the appreciation as well. I appreciate spending time with you in the same manner that um, just surrounding myself with people that are extremely successful, but not just from, you know, like a financial standpoint, but from a standpoint in the rest of their life as well, as far as marriage and relationships go. So it's always a pleasure to hang out. Yeah. Well, I want to set a little bit of context and just from what I know, um, you guys, you recently made a move to Austin, Texas because you wanted to. And, and again, just talking about the freedom vein, um, you actually, I'm, I'm pretty inspired and i kind of want to unpack this and then we'll go into the background a little bit more, but you guys, you were telling me why you moved to Austin and you left literally everything that you had built um, just because you knew you needed to be here. Why don't we start with that? Yeah, uh, it's really kind of an interesting story. So where we were living, um, so I was born and raised in southwest Louisiana, a little town called Lake Charles. Uh, it's got a population of about 70,000 people. It's a refinery town. Uh, Grant Cardone's actually from there. So if anybody's uh, familiar um, it's a great place. Uh, it's just super reliant on liquid natural gas production. So it's got a lot of LNG refineries. It's probably 70% of the workforce. Good town. Uh, it's just not a very entrepreneurial place. So we found ourselves, you know, in high school, I bought my first real estate investment. It was a mobile home. So at 16 years old, I was uh, diving in the world of real estate investing to the you know, the small degree that I actually could, because I was still a 16-year-old kid doing dumb stuff. But um, we found ourselves that we were just entrepreneurial, young in our 20s. We were doing a lot of things. And just the people that we were surrounding ourselves with weren't thinking in the same way that we were. So 
not to say that you know they were bad people or anything like that. It's just the community as a whole is not entrepreneurial. It's not risk taking. It's very, hey, let's go. We're going to go get well paying jobs at the refineries, and we're just going to live our lives out in this really safe respect. And and not to say there's anything wrong with that, but it's just different than the the mindset that we had. And we found that. It was just tough to grow beyond the ceiling that we were currently at in the environment that we were in. So from uh, the time that me and my wife were 21, we had started visiting Austin. I actually, I bought a boat here on a whim and just coming up here, really weren't familiar with the community or anything to that regard, but we just immediately fell in love with the energy. There's tons of young people. Everybody's trying amazing things. They're taking big risks and just awesome things were getting pushed out of the city. People were making great money in real estate and it just automatically attracted us. And I think there was like a lot of limiting beliefs in my head at that age. Um, you know, my entire network was in the small town I was in. My entire business was there. And there was just this um, limiting belief in my head that I couldn't get out of that. Like if I left that, I would lose all success that I had. But really what it was, was I just wasn't confident in my ability as much. So I had attributed too much of my success to connections or to other people that I was associated with rather than just accepting that, Hey, I'm actually pretty good at what I do. And, you know, I really put in the time to be good at this and develop a skill set. And that skill set travels with me wherever I go. So joining GoBundance, um, first, first aspiring for GoBundance, uh, just, you know, finding out about the community and learning more about it, getting surrounded with the mindset that was in it really was the first thing that started kind of breaking that mold in my head of, hey, you know, people are moving cross country and building multi-million dollar businesses, you know, just across the country throughout different states. And I started realizing that success isn't necessarily just a product of your community and you don't have to build success in one place. Success can be spread out just because the skill set is in the person and it doesn't matter where you place the person. Um, if, if we're a type of people that, that me and you are, like you could probably go drop us in the middle of any state in this entire country and we'll find a way to be successful. So joining abundance and surrounding myself with people that were like that were, was really what encouraged me and sort of broke that mold in me to say, hey, I can go live life wherever I want and go be around the people that I want. And my skill set that follows with me will allow me to be successful no matter what community I'm in. So, um, you know, in middle of 2022, uh, me and my wife were, you know, kind of in a period where we were kind of wrapping up a lot of projects. We had about seven flips that we were wrapping up kind of all at once. That sort of just ended up being happenstance. And we had a large multifamily construction project that we were wrapping up as well. And we just kind of were at a point in our life where if we were going to make a move, it was probably convenient timing. So one night was really funny. Uh, We were walking home from our local bar just it was not far from our house and we were just walking on the road talking just visiting and we sort of just looked at each other and said it's time you know it's it's time that we go surround ourselves with the people that we want to be around it's time that we go elevate it's time we get uncomfortable with our surroundings because out of that uncomfortableness we know we're going to grow far beyond uh whatever this life and this environment can provide us with so at that moment Walking home from the bar, we decided, hey, we are going to move to Austin just as soon as humanly possible. We took the next weekend to condense down our timeline to the things that we needed to wrap up in order to make our transition as smooth as possible. And we landed on uh, just right at the beginning of January in 2023. So that's how we ended up here. Dude, so, so 
fabulous. And if I if I remember right, I think it was actually when we were golfing in Steamboat. Do you remember what year that was? That was uh, 2021. I remember you telling me that you wanted to be in Austin, that you had spent a bunch of time here. Um, and so that's pretty quick. And that's what I love about um, just that story. And you hear this so often. Um, you know, people get this idea in their head um, for whatever reason. I think so many people, and my wife talks about this a lot. We lived in the small town that we were in for 27 years. And I had a business there and had some of those same thoughts. And Kara literally talks about this all the time. She thought we were going to be trapped in that town for like the rest of our lives, right? And it's interesting because I think, you know, for the audience that's listening, there's that moment where you're like, you, you just know you need to do something. And I'm thinking, I've, I've been pondering this lately. There's so many verses in the Bible and stories in the Bible that talk about, you know, where God said, go into a land that I will show you. And I think so many humans think that they have to have everything figured out. But the reality is when I hear your story, and even thinking back to when we were golfing in 21, um, and, and hearing you say that you wanted to be in Austin, and then fast forwarding a year later, and you're in Austin. And I think so many humans, you know, feel like they're trapped in the community that they live in, in the community that they're surrounded by, in the friend groups that they're in. And I've said this so many times, just because you need a bigger community does not mean that you have to alienate those friends. We have friends that are our bar friends. We have friends that are our, you know, travel buddies. We have friends that are our investing friends. We have friends that inspire us. And I remember when I sold my business in 2014, I was actually on a call. This was probably a year later. I was on a call with a mentor of mine. And you know, there's that quote that everybody talks about. I think Jim Rohn was one of the first that says it. Um, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I had owned this plumbing company for all these years. And then I started raising capital in real estate. And I remember I was really struggling. And I was on this call with this mentor. And he said to me, Mike, I hate to say this, but you might need to move. And he's like, I don't know what Kara is going to think because they knew Kara very well. I'd been in this mastermind for like two years and Kara would come on the trips and the cruises and everything with me. And he's like, I don't know what Kara and your family is going to think about this, but you might need to move. And I started thinking about this at this point in time. And just to back up to you're the average of the five people. Um, I, I had this experience one night where we were out at a bar. Uh, actually, we were at dinner. And I was talking to this girl that was a friend of ours, and she would always ask me questions about business. But whenever I would share my input, then she would argue with me. And I'm just sitting here. Real, we got into this big fight that night. Like she just got mad at me. She was, she was a little tipsy, and she got mad and she compared me to this other guy who I knew that she didn't like. And I was just like, I woke up the next morning just feeling horrible. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, and that quote came to my mind. Like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I remember literally taking a notebook just like this. And I, I started making a list of people that I wanted to hang. I didn't, I didn't know go abundance at that point in time. I made a list of people in the community that I wanted to start hanging out with. And then after I made this long list, I started realizing, you know, everybody on that list was people that were wealthier. And I also started realizing that like, if I actually wanted to be hanging out with those people, I could have been. So it wasn't just about money. It was about trying to find friends that would inspire me and challenge me to bigger things. And when I was on that call with that mentor and he said, Mike, you might need to move. That planted the seed in my brain. And I started thinking, Cody, like I knew my wife would want to move, but our kids at that point in time were 16, I think 14 and maybe 12. 
And I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to uproot my family. And you fast forward to a year later, not even a year. And, and the kids had this conversation where they're like, we had taken the kids to Phoenix for spring break. And the kids are like, they liked it. And then, and then they, they brought up this conversation. I hadn't said anything to them. And they're like, maybe we should move to Phoenix. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening here? Right. And so we have this conversation and, and, uh, we like literally just moved. And so anyway, to pull this together, there's so many stories like I hear of yours where when somebody gets this idea in their head and they're like, you know, you were talking about the limiting beliefs and then I'll throw this back to you. Um, the limiting beliefs, what are all the reasons why we can't move? The kids are in high school. All my rentals are here at that point in time. We owned 45 single families, five mobile home parks. We had three commercial buildings in that community. And my brain was telling me all the reasons why I couldn't move, but then things just start happening and your brain starts thinking. One of my mentors, Dan Sullivan always says, the eyes only see and the ears only hear what the brain is looking for. And so for the audience, and then I will promise throw it back to you. Um, there's so many stories like this where we just get this little idea in our head and immediately it's like all the reasons why you can't do it, but you have to change your intention around it. And that will to do something different has got to be stronger than all the reasons that are keeping you rooted. What do you think about that? That's it's so true. Like it, it's, we get these little ideas in our head that, Hey, this is two X, this is two Y. Like it's too hard. It's uh, too complicated. I'm not going to do it because of this. Like we just make up these reasons. These are all just stories that we're telling ourselves. And I think it's like important in your life to make to do these big things that seem like quote unquote impossible just because it reminds you how easy it all actually is. You know, like um, I was at a point in my life whenever I was uh, 22, I was just like, I was looking for something to prove to myself that I was capable of doing really difficult things. So I went out and I ran a 50 K 32 miles, uh, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But at the same time, once I did it, it was like earth shattering to say, if I'm capable of this and, and it was this easy, what else am I capable of? Not to say it was easy. It was extremely hard, but um, just the fact that I could do it and like, it didn't bring me to my death, right? Like if anything, I was in the best shape of my life. I felt amazing, full of energy. And, and it was like, if I can do this, what else can I do? You know, fast forward a couple of years later, moving is another one of those things. Like nobody in my family has really moved out of um, the community that we're in. I was probably the first one. And it seems so difficult until you do it. And then you're like, oh, this is actually really easy. And then you start doing deals in other cities and you start figuring out, oh, this is way easier than I thought it was. And then you just continue. I think in your life, it's important to just like every year or two, it's kind of like the Masogi principle of like, you got to do something that just seems impossible to you, like consistently, just to remind yourself that everything you're trying to do in life actually isn't that hard, that it's just stories that we're telling ourselves that are overcomplicating the situation. Um, you know, 99% of life is really not that hard or complicated. We, we're the ones that make it hard and complicated. So moving was one of those things for me where it was like, I really just, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be around people that I admired, people I, um, aspired to be and people that were doing things that I aspired to do. And I wanted to be around people that were doing all that stuff. And it wasn't a big deal, right? Guys like you, it's like, okay, you're raising, you know, hundreds of tens of millions, hundreds of millions of capital you know, buying all these mobile home parks, doing all these great things. You got an incredible mastermind, awesome relationship with your wife. And it's like, you make it look so easy. And the truth is because it is easy. Like it's not as complicated as we all make it seem out in our head. Not to say, it's, you know, 
it's not it's not complicated. It's it is difficult in the fact that it takes consistency and hard work and effort. Of course, everything in life does, but it's not as complicated as we make it out in our head to be. And I think just when you surround yourself with people that are doing that stuff and whenever you're in the communities that are, um, you know, aspiring to these great things, doing these great things. And you just, you know, you get in the, you get in the vicinity of these people and all of a sudden you realize like, they're not all that different than you. And the truth yeah. be told is that they're just telling They're just telling themselves a different story. Yeah. I love what you just said about they're not that different than you. One of the things that I've realized in my life, just looking backwards and again, you know, talking about you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I've often thought about when I want to get into a new group of people, like who do I have to become? Because if you're thinking about a group that's more successful, they're thinking about the same thing. They're the average of the five people that they spend the most time with. And I had this epiphany one day where I was like, okay, why would these five people or seven or whatever the magic number is, why would they let me in their world? And I literally have to become a different version of myself. And I love what you were just saying, because we doing hard things. It's just because we've never been there before. And, and, and it's a trap that we get into because the reason why we were successful is because we did something because we were probably forced to, for whatever reason. And then we get to this place where it's easy now, as you were saying. And the reality is a lot of people tend to stay there. They get comfortable because it's easy. And because we know what the work is going to be to get it there. And because we're scared of becoming a different version of ourselves. So just back to the five people, like who do I have to become in order to be surrounded by those five people? Or who do I have to become in order to do something different, get different results in my life? And most people are just scared to change what they're really doing because they know, they don't know exactly what the work's gonna be. They, they're not that version of themselves that it's gonna take. And we really have to get focused on that. So I love what you said about that. It's so amazing. And the last thing I'll say, when you said, um, you know, you did the 50K and it was easy. Well, it wasn't easy, but by the time you had done all the work to get there, it wasn't as hard as you thought it was going to be. And that, you know, you became a new version of yourselves or of yourself. I, I guess you're not uh, schizophrenic. So of yourself. And, and that's the thing where people get stuck. They, they stop growing or they look backwards and they're like, man, I've worked my ass off this last five years, 10 years, whatever. I'm going to take it easy. We get comfortable. We plateau. But the thing about it is, we're scared to move into that next version of ourselves because we know we're gonna have to do the deep work. We're gonna have to change who we are. We're gonna have to change the people we're around. We're gonna have to change the way we do deals, whatever it is. And I think that's where most people just get frozen. Yeah, totally. And like, not to say it doesn't, you know, like stay difficult to do that for guys like me and you, like it totally does. Right. We'll both get in periods of time where we're super comfortable and we don't want to push either. We don't want to level up into that next version of ourselves, but I think it's important to, like we said, you know, who you're spending your time with, like surround yourself with people that are consistently leveling up, that are consistently pushing beyond their current self to get to their future self. Like who in your network, who in your immediate surroundings is pushing the line, you know, who's reaching beyond their limits just to see if they can make it. And the more that the people that you surround yourself are doing that, the more you're going to do it out of yourself. So you know, it's higher expectations um, compared to the people that you're spending time with. And I think that, you know, if we want to continuously be growing people and we want to accomplish great things, we have to have people in our network that are doing the same thing. The people that we are spending our time with have to be doing the same thing or else, like you said, we're going to get to that point that we're just, we're just coasting because it's easy because it's, you know, it's comfortable, but yeah. nothing great came out of comfortability. No, I would love for you 
Um, and I'll circle back to what I said before, but I haven't met very many people who, you know, from the outside looking in, Cody's successful, um, you've done great things. But I think the thing that people don't understand is that when we're entering a bigger room, so back to the average of the five people and just framing this thought around, you know, when I want to get into a bigger room like GoBundance or, you know, I've done $5 million or $10 million of real estate, whatever it is, um, and then I want to get into a room of people that are doing it higher, I haven't vet, met very many people that when they walked into a room like GoBundance, they were like not feeling the imposter syndrome and do I belong here and, and all of those fears. And that's where that, you know, who do I have to become in order for these people to accept me? That can also create a limiting belief around it. So I don't want to plant more ideas in people's heads, but the reality is you have to push through that. So can you just kind of frame for me? I would love to hear your perspective on go abundance and getting in bigger rooms and some of your, you know, limiting beliefs around that. Did you just not have any? Oh, I definitely had some for sure. I, you know, I think selfishly enough, like I think I've always had a little like an extra kind of level of confidence because like not to say that, you know, all the guys in your abundance aren't doing like, you know, weren't doing fantastic things at 20, you know, 24, 25, 26. But I'm kind of like an anomaly, a little not an anomaly a little bit, but like I'm doing a lot. I've done a lot of stuff for 26 and I've recognized that in myself for sure. Um and I think it's always given me like a level of confidence that, you know, most of the guys in the room around GoBundance are in their 30s or 40s. And um, I'm, I'm honored to be there. And like, that's why I get in those rooms so that I can do everything they're doing, but 10 years earlier. And that's always what I've been in that room for. It's not necessarily to compare, compare myself to them because like it's incomparable. You have 10, 15 years on me. Like I can't compare myself to you because you simply have more time. But what I can compare myself to is what am I able to learn from you or what am I able to, uh, what mistakes am I able to learn from? What strategies am I able to get? Um, you know, what flaws in your life and what strengths in your life can I take that I might be able to mend my life to skip over all the bad stuff that you might've had to deal with. So, you know, say, um, you know, for example, like if somebody kind of figured out how to get successful raising capital when they were 35, I'm in the room to figure out what you did so that I can figure it out at 27. That's kind of my goal. It's always been to, to like to cheat the system. Like that's kind of what I, that's kind of why I like I always, my wife makes fun of me because majority of my friends are in their late thirties and forties. And it's like, I'm here to cheat the system. Like if you've had problems in your marriage, tell me about them because I want to skip them in my marriage. I don't want to have the same issues that you had. So tell me what, what, you know, what road signs I'm not seeing that are coming up in my early thirties. So that way I can avoid them. Um, tell me what problems that I'm going to have in my business three years from now so that I can avoid them. So it's always kind of been like a, like, especially GoBundance has always been a mentorship situation for me where like, I'm, you know, just blessed to be in the room. I'm probably barely squeaking to even be in there, but I am, you know, on average, probably at least eight to 10 years younger than the average person. And it's always been sort of like a cheat code for me where I'm just trying to skip all of the road bumps that everybody else hit. I'm trying to identify all of them so that I can skip them in my thirties and that I can just get to where everybody's at, you know, five to 10 years earlier. So that's kind of like my view of it. Is there imposter syndrome? Absolutely. But I'm not there to compete necessarily as much as I am. I'm just there to learn. So it's always been a mentor, you know, mentor relationship for me. Yeah, it's such a great perspective, man. That 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 was worth the whole episode right there. Um, we should have done this in the beginning, but 
I'm going to let you kind of just set the context and tell us what you have done. You told us your age. Um, I, I didn't actually know, but I knew you were pretty young. So you're 26. Yep. 26. I uh, turned 27 in a couple of weeks. So we're just, we're just shy of that. Crazy. And I love what you said. There's an old saying, you know, don't compare someone else's year 20 to your year one. And that's the trap that so many humans fall into with that comparison. And I love the way that you kind of reframed that because that limiting belief or that imposter syndrome, all of that, when you walk into that room is really just, I mean, you framed it in such a good way, the comparison thing. But if you're running your own race, it's irrelevant. What somebody else, you know, did in 10 years, 20, what just what valuable, valuable advice. So set the context for us. I want you to brag a little bit. Um, give us some background. Tell us what you've done. And then what I would love to for you to kind of wrap into that is, you know, what are, because you talked a lot about mentorship. You want to get in the room with older people. And by the way, older could be not age related. So there could be somebody listening that's 40 years old that is looking up to Cody, who's 26, almost 27, and looking at them from an older perspective as far as, like you said, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, so age is kind of irrelevant. And that's what I love about how you reframe that. So I would love for you to just, again, give us some context, but also maybe give us for the audience that's listening in terms of age um, in real estate investing, business, investing in general, what are some of the things that you could mentor the community around? Yeah, um, probably one of the coolest things that I've done was I bought my first real estate investment at 16. So I grew up in a real estate investing family. Uh, my dad's a single family investor, uh, ended up with about 30 homes. Uh, he was, you know, the the turtle method of I'm going to do one house at a time. I'm going to fix it up myself, burr it out before burr was a thing. And uh, at the end of his career, he ended up with about 30, 35 paid off houses. He's close to 60 now. Uh, he's been really successful for himself. And so from the time I was probably 12 or 13 years old, I was getting kicked out of bed on Saturdays, going to work in houses. So I grew up renovating single family homes. Little did I know, I, you know, I wasn't, I was learning preliminary from him. Like he would talk about, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Uh, we're buying this house for, uh, we're fixing it up one time and getting paid on it forever. That was his thing. You, you know, you work on it one time, you get paid forever. So I was hearing these things from the time I was 13, 14 years old and, it wasn't really, you know, clicking all that much because I was a 14 year old. But uh, by the time I got 16 from working with my dad, my grandpa and whoever else just doing odd jobs, I had an older brother. So I'd go and work with him on some little remodeling jobs, whatever, make some cash and about five grand saved up. And I decided to buy a mobile home with it because that's all a 16 year old can buy. So bought it for thirty five hundred bucks. I put fifteen hundred dollars into it and I rented it out for six hundred and sixty five dollars a month. And that was my first real estate investment. I self-managed it. I went and collected the rent in cash. Um, was learning the business. You know, it was fun. And as a 16-year-old, it, it looked weird, the fact that I owned like a, <laughs> owned a mobile home in high school. But um, it paid for everything I wanted to do. I made probably, you know, $500 a month after everything. And it was enough money to, you know, go to lunch with my friends. And, you know, every now and then we'd go down to Buffalo Wild Wings or something. Like nothing crazy. But... I started kind of seeing the value in real estate investing and actually getting paid. I didn't love it, but uh, because I was at that time, I was fixing the house up myself too, because that's all I'd ever seen. And it just wasn't my thing, but it was what I was doing. So I bought a couple of more houses um, at 18. It was a deal that my aunt and uncle were selling. They had about five rental properties as well. And they seller financed them two to me, three to my older brother. 
And uh, we renovated them. We rented them out. And then we burned them. We put a loan on them. And for my 18th birthday, I walked in the bank and asked for a loan. It was funny. Uh, so I did on my 18th birthday. I went and asked for a loan on these properties. But we refinanced them. And they were good little rentals. I went to college. And in college, I flipped my first house with a friend of mine. So we found a property at Sheriff's Sale. And it was $70,000. Um, both of us had a little bit of cash saved up. So we ended up flipping it with a loan from a family member. So we got the renovation money from a family member, flipped the house, ended up making about $35,000. And that was my first house flip. Uh, through college, we started flipping a few more houses and we would keep some as rentals. And by the time I graduated college, I had got an eightplex. So it was an eightplex. It was all one one apartments. It was a great little deal. We did the Burr method on. I had about five single family homes. And graduating college, I was making enough cash flow to afford my life. I wasn't doing much. So um, I never went and got a job. I graduated in finance and I just kept flipping houses. So at that point, we started flipping a few more houses. I, I did what I could with the cash that I had. I had raised some, um, some private money from some family members. But we couldn't do, you know, 10 at a time. We could only do two or three. So I had my GC license, general contractor's license, and I started doing general contract work as well. So that was to generate cash, was to do some general contracting jobs. And we were flipping houses as much as we could until we got to a point where we had enough cash circulating, we had enough private lenders, and we could flip houses uh, exclusively. We didn't have to do work for homeowners anymore. So we've done about 50, 60 deals, somewhere around that that metric right now, as far as house flips go. Uh, we built a rental portfolio of 15 doors that were just ours, me and my wife's. And then we also got a large apartment complex that we were 40% on. So it was a 56 unit. We got 40% of the deal as the contractor on. So we ended up uh, buying a gutted 56 unit complex and I spent 12 months renovating it. So that was a, that was a job. I was 24 at the time. Uh, and I remember being 24 and I was dealing with these large contractors, these, you know, HVAC contractors and plumbing contractors. And they were all just like, yeah, are you the project manager on here? I was like, no, I'm the GC. And everybody was just like, what? And I was like, yeah. I mean, like I just dove in and tried stuff. I think that's the important thing to see is like when I was in my, my young twenties, the first half of my twenties, especially I tried everything. We burned single family houses. I burned a small apartment complex. Um, you know, we did a large apartment deal. I flipped 50 single family homes. Like I did general contract work. I just did stuff and I did stuff in my realm of knowledge. So I knew I had construction experience. And from that, you know, we, we never really got into like direct to seller marketing. Um, we never got into wholesaling. We never did anything like that because it wasn't my skill set. My skill set was single family construction. So that's what we did. And we just tried everything in that realm of business that we could. So we ended up with about singles, 15 uh, doors that we owned personally, me and my wife. And we had that 40% of the 56 unit complex, so it's about 50 deals. And when we decided to move here, uh, I was going through a really big shift in my investing philosophy. I was in the, the second half of my 20s. And, and at, at 25 and 26 were really years that I took a second to kind of stop and evaluate all the things that I had done in the first half of my 20s. So I was at a point where I was working just I was working my head off and I didn't feel like I was making the money that I should because at this point I was surrounded by guys in GoBundance that seemed to be working so much less than me, but making so much more money. It was because they were working so much more effectively on the right things. And I just I took a second, I actually took most of uh, 2023 to just sort of stop and 
evaluate everything that I did on the first half of my 20s to really dial in on what I wanted to go all in on in the back half of my 20s. So it's kind of like the Alex Tremosi principle. It's like the first three years of your 20s, uh, you're working for somebody. And then the second three years, you're just trying a bunch of stuff. And then the last three years are where you're really effective because you, you double down on the things that work. So last year, we sold our entire uh, portfolio that we personally owned. It was assets that we didn't want to own the rest of our lives. And the return on equity was not working for us. We had a lot of equity in these properties that we weren't utilizing that we could go and use to generate more cash, uh, doing the things that we're really good at. So we sold our long-term portfolio. Um, we're in the process of selling that 56 plex right now with the other partners. And we're going, we're dialing really in on our house flipping business. We're going to start some new constructions here, doing some spec homes. And uh, right now we're looking into building some single family rentals. So out of that, you know, transition of life, like turning the chapter on, Hey, what am I really good at work worked really well? And what can I do? I want to devote time to that will give me the best long-term return. And for us, it's the construction side. So um, we're really good at construction and design. That's what me and my wife are doubling down on. And we're going to uh, double down on that for the next three years and see where it takes us. I love it, man. So do me a favor. If you could narrow it down to like maybe two or three of like key takeaways that you've learned, um, what are, what are some of the, what are some of the quick lessons? Um, in real estate, it pays to have one of these three skill sets. You either have to be able to find the deal, you have to be able to execute the deal, or you have to be able to sell the deal. So if you're going to be in real estate investing to any degree, you need to be able to do one of those three things or else everybody's going to make money before you. And by the time the profit gets to you, you're going to end up with nothing. So if you're considering getting into real estate investing, especially single family, and probably even more on the commercial side, you need to learn one of the three skill sets. Either learn how to find deals, learn how to execute deals, or learn how to sell deals. One of the three. Um, that's probably one of my best pieces of advice. Um, the other piece of advice is, especially when you're first starting, I encourage people to just try things. Like, try stuff. Just go out and do things. Um, real estate in particular, and I really find that like all of life and business is this way, is that it's really forgiving. Um, if you're the type of person that's willing to push through, like be persistent and push through um, barriers and push through obstacles, usually you can find your way out of any bad situation you might put yourself in. And you might lose a little or whatever, but the experience you gain will be well worth whatever you lose. So I encourage people to like, just try stuff. Go out and just you know, do a little bit of everything, do some single family stuff, do, do a commercial deal. And then out of that, you figure out where your skill set really lies and what you're able to double down onto the marketplace to actually be able to like provide some value out there and really get paid for it. Um, so good. Number three, I would say is figure out early on how to work effectively. So not every task is something that you should do. And it took me a long time to learn that, that, like just because you're busy doesn't mean you're productive. And it took me a long, long time to learn that principle that what I'm working on should be income producing or it should help condense timelines. It should do something that's going to push the business forward, not just something that like has to get done. And a lot of these things, especially young entrepreneurs uh, and myself was included, is that like we work on things that actually don't matter, that are things that are probably going to get solved out anyways, whether we touch them or not. But it's just because we're like a little bit afraid of working on the thing that does matter because that has implications. So, you know, working on 
like say you need to look at a bunch of deals, but you don't look at a bunch of deals. Instead, you go and uh, design a business card. That's what some people, they find themselves doing these tasks that don't even really matter. But the reason being is that committing to a deal has implications and it creates work and it creates risk. And people are scared of that work and risk. But I understand that like, you know, I read a quote from uh, from John Brooks today. It said the biggest risk is not taking any risk at all. And it's like risk gets paid. Risk is what actually makes money. You have to. So get over the fear of taking risk and just go out and do things. So yeah, work effectively. Don't just be busy because, you know, busy is not productive. So good, man. Last question, I think. Um, let me think about how I want to. You, you said something earlier and, and I want to get your perspective on this. So when, when you were younger and, you know, you were doing rentals, you said, I didn't love it. And there's this whole idea about, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And you framed this earlier where, you know, just even with age, it takes a while to earn your stripes. And I think this younger generation is listening to so many people that are like, you know, follow your passion, follow your purpose. And, and then you say, you know, you were building this portfolio and you're learning all this experience, but you didn't love it. So what's your take on follow your passion and you'll never work a day in your life? <laughs> um, I saw a quote from Brandon Turner that said, um, if you start making money in something, you'll figure out how to be passionate about it. <laughs> and I think that's so true. Like, it's, it really does pay to, to love what you do. You really don't want to go to work every day and hate it. But there's going to be aspects that you hate about everything. And you have to understand that that's the price you have to pay for success. That like success doesn't come for free. It, you don't. If you're the person out there that really does love 100% of your job and learns, loves every aspect of it, I'd call your bluff because there's no way. You just can't. So I think what's most important to realize is like, what value do you have in the marketplace? What value do you have that can bring you income and can bring impact? Because I think the results of working hard, the income, the impact, the betterment for your family, the betterment for your community... I think that's what probably brings joy to majority of people. It's not even the the task of what they're doing. It's the outcome of what they're doing. So I think like fixating on the outcome is probably a lot better than fixating on the task itself. Um, I think that, you know, ideally, if we all had the choice, we'd probably be surfing the beaches of California 24-7 making 5 million bucks a year. But that doesn't exist. So I, I think you want to like it to a degree. You just have to find what you like within it. So like, I don't like finding deals. I'm not a deal finder. So I try not to do that as much as I can. And uh, I, I let the deals come to me. And the way that I try to find my value in the marketplace is on the construction side, on the design side. You know, we're able to cut out a large portion of our deals from that. And just because we have experience, we're able to condense timelines and condense budgets and things of that nature. Um, and that's how I provide my value. And, you know, some of it I don't like. I don't really love reviewing budgets, but I love designing. I love uh, walking projects with, con with subcontractors. Absolutely love it. Um, you're going to find parts that you hate in everything you do. So quit trying to focus on, you know, what you're doing and loving what you're doing as much as focusing on the outcome of what you're doing and what that can give you. Yeah. I think there's an inherent nature when I'm talking to guys like you. You're optimistic. You're positive. You make it, you said this earlier, you make everything look easy. And I think there's this twofold double-edged sword. Number one, when people look at, oh, I want to be a business owner. Oh, I want to be a real estate investor. The gurus tell them that it's easy. 
And then the people that are good at it, like you, Cody, make it look easy. And, you know, you're a very positive person. I've never heard you complain about anything. Um, and, and so therefore, all the challenges, the roadblocks, the, the issues that you deal with, we don't get to hear all of that a, a lot of the time because, like I said, most people that are successful are optimistic, number one. And then the other side of it is the gurus that are teaching this make it sound really easy and simple. And the reality at the end of the day is I don't care. I love what you said about, you know, there's components of a job, a business, anything else that you're not going to love. And even the idea of like, you know, outsource what you're not good at. I, I subscribe to that. But every time I even outsource something or you find an, I just had an employee that quit a couple months ago that's been with me for six years. You know how much has been outsourced to her? And guess what? I'm, I'm doing it, it, man. <laughs> and, and people don't understand that because all we want to hear is the positive experiences. And so I love the way that you framed that. Um, it, you know, nothing's easy and nothing worth doing is easy. You're going to have ups and downs. And again, I think the gurus, the teachers, the coaches, coaches, some of it, some of it intentional because we want to get people to buy our mastermind or whatever. And so we want to make it sound like they're going to be worth a million dollars in 12 months. But then even on the other side of it, you know, as business owners and successful people, I don't think we do a good enough job. And you've done a great job today of talking about, you know, I didn't love it and the challenges that I experienced and all of that stuff. It's such an important lesson. So, so um, I'm going to throw it back to you. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered that's on your heart that you think is a valuable message? And then ultimately make sure, you know, you share with where people can find you. Yeah. Um, my biggest thing that I like to encourage people to do is like, if you're young, try a bunch of stuff, take a bet on yourself, um, you know, straight out of college, straight out of high school. Like I, I've never had a W2 job. And a lot of that was, you know, insecurity on, Hey, you know, how much money am I going to make this month? I go months without making money, especially in my younger days when I could only flip so many houses and do so much construction jobs. Like I could only have so much money on the street at one time. You know, I'd have maybe 23 years old and have $400,000 out on the street and, you know, maybe $25,000 in my bank account. It was like, how in the world am I going to work myself out of this hole sometimes? But like just the sheer persistence of like backing yourself in that corner at a young age when you don't really have a ton of responsibilities, like it's great to just go out and try stuff and just do it. You know, like majority of what the stories that we tell ourselves about how hard things are going to be, it's just a story we're telling ourselves, you know, majority of life is not that easy. It's not that hard. It's more or less just persistence that will push you through mainly pretty much any obstacle in life. So, you know, whatever it is that you're nervous about trying, I encourage people to like, just go out and give it, give it a shot. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen? It's probably not that bad. Obviously don't take off, you know, bite off something more than you can chew. Like I wouldn't go, you know, right now I wouldn't go try to raise capital for a hundred million dollar deal because I can't execute that. I don't, I don't possess those skill sets at all, but you know, I would go try to build a $1.3 million spec home because I think I can do that. And I think it's something that is within my skill set. It's not something that's too big for me to bite off. If it does fail, uh, it's not going to break me. And the lessons that I would learn would be, you know, far more valuable than any money that I would lose. And I actually think I would make money doing it. So, you know, we're trying that this year. We're going to try something that's a little bit out of our comfort zone. It's not going to be something that can break us if it goes bad, but we're definitely going to try and push to a new height and a new limit that we haven't done before. So I encourage people to like keep doing those things that seem like they might be a little bit impossible, might be a little bit out of your reach and might be just really hard because 
the, the story that you're telling yourself about how hard it may be or how impossible it may be is probably just the story you're telling yourself. And it's probably infinitely easier than you're actually making it out to be. You know, we're all victims of this, you know, it's, it's life, it's human nature, but certain people have mastered it a lot better than others. So I'd say like as early as you can in life, master that demon in yourself that says like, that starts telling yourself this, these stories, you know, start telling yourself positive stories about how you can do it. And, uh, you know, the man who says he can, and the man who says he can't are both usually right. Yeah. So good. Well, this has been fantastic. I'm always inspired by you. Um, love you, brother. Where can people find you? Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, so excited to be here. I've ever to talk to you always. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Cody Caswell underscore. Um, that's mainly where I post most of my stuff. Um, we do interior design for real estate investors, uh, info at ivoryhome.co. If you guys ever need design tips, shoot me a message on Instagram. I'm super active there and we're always giving out tons of free value. So come find us there. Happy to help in any way we can. Wait, I have a question on the ivory home design stuff. Um, is it just Austin or can you guys design elsewhere? No, nationwide. Uh, we design nationwide. So it's all, uh, it's all virtual. We have a really, you know, great process that we walk people through. Uh, we took, you know, the, the same process that contractors of, you know, 10 million R plus homes are using. We built that same process for real estate investors. So we're taking out uh, the need, you know, the real estate investors mostly fall by the seat of their pants, including me a couple of years ago. So uh, we saw this need in the marketplace and we sort of filled it. So we're doing interior design for investors across the country. Cool. And one more time on where they can find information on the interior design. Uh, yeah, shoot us an email, info at ivoryhome.co. We're working on a website right now, but it's not quite up. Give it about a month, it'll be ready. But um, yeah, you can shoot us that. I can give you all of our materials that kind of describe the process, everything we do. And yeah, go from there. If you're a real estate investor or a developer doing single family homes, reach out. Get the youngest, most experienced guy for the age of 26 that I think I might know on the <laughs> team. I love it. So thanks for coming, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. This is, this is a blast. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you'd take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.